The opinions expressed in the following episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Minds of Madness podcast. Listener discretion is advised. August 15, 2016, was a warm night in Tequesta, Florida, the perfect night to relax and enjoy some fresh air. For a couple living on southeast Kokomo Lane, their garage was an ideal spot to hang out on a couch with the garage door up, watching the world go by, until an encounter with a stranger on the sidewalk shattered their family's entire world in a few nightmarish moments. Join me now as we take a look at the terrifying case involving John Stevens and Michelle Mishkan, an innocent couple who crossed paths with a young man in the grips of full-blown psychosis. You'll hear the disturbing story of how Austin Haroff began to unravel, believing he was half man, half dog, a delusion that would lead to acts of unthinkable violence. Nine one one. Do you need fire, police, or medical? Police and medical. Young man beating up a woman across the street. Okay, are they outside or in a house? It's in a garage. Okay, can you tell if he has any weapons? Um, I think he had a knife, but I'm not positive. Okay, can you tell if she's injured or he's injured? Yes, there's a girl laying on the ground. He beat her up. I ran over there. I'm bleeding profusely here at the moment. Okay. I don't know what happened. All right. Can you tell if she's conscious or is she unconscious? No, it does not appear so, no. Okay. And how? what kind of injuries do you have? Uh, I've been stabbed in the back. With and a knife? Yes, I believe so. It was tough okay. to tell. Okay. You couldn't tell how long it was or anything? We needed an ambulance. Complete. Yeah, we're Quick sending complete. them. We're sending them. And where is he? Is he yeah, I think in he's the area in the garage. Still? Right across the street from my house. All right. Sir, what did the guy look like? Was he white, black, Hispanic? He is white. You know how old he is? About 25 years old. And what was he wearing? Um, shorts and a t-shirt. Do you know who he is? I have no idea. Does he live at that house, or? No, he does not. Can you have your wife or, I don't want you moving if you've been stabbed, but I, can you have your wife or someone look out and see if he's still there? See if that car's still there, honey. He, it appears he's still there. You said you, you definitely saw a knife and that's what he hit you with in the back? No, I did not see it, but my wife's looking in my back and it appears I got punctured. Yes, Dad, in the neck, in the head, three, three puncture wounds. Okay, we got units in route, okay? Okay. All right. Just call us back if anything changes. All right. All right. I'm bleeding pretty bad. So okay. We got we got an ambulance and everybody in route. Just stay right there and stay calm. Okay. Okay. Thanks. All right. The man making the 911 call was Jeff Fisher, a resident living on Southeast Kokomo Lane, going about his business when he suddenly heard screams erupting from across the street. 
From his window, he could see a young man in his neighbor's garage on a rampage. What he saw when he approached to intervene was straight out of a horror film. Inside the garage, the young man was in a frenzy, throwing himself at the owners of the home with almost inhuman strength. Who exactly the young man was, Jeff had no idea. Later, investigators would identify the attacker as Austin Haroff, a once promising student at Florida State University. So how had Austin's life unraveled to the point he found himself lashing out at two total strangers? To find out, we have to take you back to Austin's early years, growing up in the community of Jupiter, Florida. The landscape of Jupiter, Florida matches the postcard Florida image of tropical trees, turquoise waters, and carefully manicured lawns. Summers are hot and humid, though winters mild. In fact, the climate is so idyllic, some of America's wealthiest people have owned homes on nearby Jupiter Island, from Celine Dion to Tiger Woods. But the home Austin Haroff was born into in 1996 wasn't one of these homes. Although Austin didn't live an extravagant life, he wasn't underprivileged either. In his teen years, Austin struggled with the kind of things a lot of teens struggle with, and perhaps if his freshman year at college had turned out differently, those struggles might have all seemed like part of growing up. In middle school, Austin's looks in general made him feel shy and self-conscious, being a bit on the chubby side and dealing with acne. But it was the situation at home that didn't make life any easier, with his parents Wade and Mina often arguing and divorcing by the time he was 13. After the divorce, Austin lived with his mom and sister Haley, but maintained a relationship with his dad. At Suncoast Community High School, Austin tried leaving his awkward years behind him by joining the football team as a defensive tackle, where he quickly made new friends. Overall, it seemed like a positive outlook for Austin, with his dad even feeling as though sports were helping him overcome his shyness, something his teammates helped him with by encouraging him to get more physical in their games, because apparently, his constant smile just wasn't intimidating enough. As Austin's interest and passion in fitness grew, he added weightlifting and wrestling to his resume. He was also a pretty good student in all of his subjects too, graduating high school in 2015 with a 3.5 GP, the equivalent of a B-plus average. After graduating, Austin headed off to study at Florida State University, where he joined the fraternity brothers at Alpha Delta Phi. After taking a few biology courses, Austin finally decided to settle on an exercise science major so he could eventually become a dietitian. And if his mental health were as good as his physical condition, he probably would have succeeded. Because underneath Austin's promising exterior, there was trouble brewing in his inner life. A window into his growing mental health battle can be seen to begin to unfold on a YouTube channel Austin started, with some videos of him giving fitness advice, and others doing freestyle raps by his alter ego, Osti Frosty. In the videos, Austin often slips into other accents from Russian to British while standing in front of the camera shirtless. Viewed today, Many of the 52 videos are chilling, 
but at that time might have passed for a young person making a goofy upload they'd regret later. Like a lot of college kids, Austin partied hard in his freshman year, with alcohol seeming to take care of any social anxiety he hadn't been able to shake. But Austin took things a step beyond just lowering his inhibitions, and soon was getting drunk three nights a week, often to the point of blacking out. He also began experimenting with hard drugs, from uppers to psychedelics, taking Adderall when he needed to focus up and study. Pot was also in the mix, until it became more about relying on it to fall asleep than having fun. Whatever was brewing, it was more than just the drugs. His whole life he'd had episodes, when nothing seemed to matter, and his mind couldn't focus. His family also had a history of dealing with depression, including his father. His aunt had had electroconvulsive therapy. His uncle never got a diagnosis, but earned a reputation for his weirdness. Whatever was happening at that time for Austin, he never ended up receiving any treatment or counseling. But then again, it hadn't really seemed necessary. The depressive moods usually only lasted a day or two, and he was used to that. But then in his freshman year at college, the manic episodes started. At first, they didn't last long either, so it was almost a nice change. Austin described it as being on top of the world, but by summertime, the moods were getting longer and more intense. Austin used them as fuel for his music, and the more he thought about it, the more rap stardom seemed within reach. He posted track after track of Osti Frosty songs on YouTube, recorded in rapid-fire creative bursts, and before long, he was dreaming even bigger. Maybe he could be the next great leader of a social movement. This whole interest in becoming a popular figure was a sudden and noticeable departure from his usual shy self. To prepare for the spotlight he thought he was about to step into, he frantically researched religious leaders and groups, from Gandhi to Buddha to the Illuminati. Austin's mom, Mina, found Austin's commitment to becoming a better person so intense, it was annoying, but at least it seemed positive. But when the sun went down each night, things were starting to get a bit weird. Austin had become terrified of the darkness and started sleeping with the lights on, making it hard for him to get a good night's sleep. But whenever he did drift in and out, he recalled seeing strange figures in the corner of the room. Soon Austin began harboring a deep-seated belief that evil spirits were trying to attack him at night to protect his family against whatever forces he thought were pursuing him. Austin switched bedrooms and began prowling the house at night. At one point, he suggested to his sister Haley it might be safer if they shared a room, and so she let him sleep on the floor once or twice. Rather than feeling reassured, however, sometimes she locked her door instead. That's when Austin settled for sleeping with the family dog because he'd started feeling a very close connection with the family pet. Austin's friends and family may not have realized how serious things had gotten or just didn't know how to help, so Austin turned to the internet for answers instead. His Google searches would later paint a tragic picture of a young man desperately seeking a way out, looking up, how to relax my mind, auditory hallucinations when falling asleep, schizophrenia, and must I sleep? His late-night search history also reveals darker interests, 
like in Satan, how to sell his soul and hell. But perhaps the most poignant search of all was the simple question, I think I'm going crazy, am I? By August, Austin's mind was a confused, frightening place, but up to that point, had managed to function just well enough to avoid major consequences. He told his family drugs were taking a toll on him and that he was going to go cold turkey. He'd flushed his stash and gave away his paraphernalia, despite having tried to stock up just days before. He even held a job for about a month. In July, Austin's father Wade hired his son as an assistant in his dental practice. A bit of responsibility and distraction must have seemed worth a shot, but the problems seemed to follow Austin to work. While cleaning some dental tools, Austin realized he could control the water. He could bend it and shape it in magical ways and sterilize it with his mind. With a viewpoint like that, Austin's attempts at conversation earned him some strange looks. On Friday, August 12th, a patient told him a particularly sad story. Because the patient had the same birthday as him, Austin empathized so intensely he couldn't stop crying. That was his last day at work. Everything began to unravel fairly quickly from there. The next day was Saturday, and Wade and his girlfriend made plans to go on a bike ride with Austin. But Austin seemed distracted, because in his own mind, he was trying to work out whether he was half horse or half dog. Because his zodiac sign was Sagittarius, it made him think he might be a centaur. Or on the other hand, the fact that he could understand the barking dogs they biked past made him lean towards thinking he might actually be part dog. After the ride together, the three of them went out for Mexican food, but Austin refused to eat anything and only drank water. Wade pestered him to have a drink to loosen up, and the waiter joined in. Austin was avoiding alcohol at the time and was so irritated by their suggestions, he ended up hitching a ride home in the back of a stranger's pickup truck, something his old shy self never would have done. The next day, Wade tried to connect with his son, but made what was probably a tactical error and took Austin and his friend Sam to a gun show. Sam and Austin had been friends since elementary school, so the familiar face should have been comforting. At the show, Austin wandered into a conversation with a vendor of survival gear, asking about ways to defend himself. The man then showed Austin the best stances for hand-to-hand -hand combat. Austin left the show with a brand new switchblade and a bag of something he called Python Jerky. Shortly after, Wade took Sam aside and asked him what he thought was going on with Austin. Neither of them had much of a clue. After the gun show, they dropped Austin off at his mom's house where he spent the night. Around 3 a.m., Austin knocked on Mina's bedroom door, complaining of anxiety. When he finally did fall asleep, it was on the floor, curled up next to the dog. Austin was already gone when Mina woke up the next morning and sent her a text that read, No matter what I say to you, I am protecting you even when you think I'm evil. When Mina asked him what he meant, Austin replied, F off. August 15th, 2016 was Austin's last day of freedom. 
He spent part of it with his sister Haley and his friend Sam. When he drove to pick them up, they noticed Austin was overdressed for Florida weather, wearing two shirts, two watches, and sweatpants. They went to the beach anyway and out for lunch after. This time, Austin actually ordered food, but instead of eating it, left the table three times to run laps around the building. Back in the car, Haley and Sam asked what was going on with them. Austin replied, running was in his nature because he was half horse. Sam wondered out loud if it might actually be a sign of mental illness, but Austin threatened to beat him up. Then he ran a red light and added he was also immortal. Austin was driving so erratically, Haley demanded he give her the keys, and Austin agreed, but changed his mind again about the type of animal he was and tried to crawl into the back of the hatchback like a dog. By now, Haley had realized her brother was dangerously out of touch with reality. So far that day, she'd rescued her brother from oncoming traffic, told him to stop tossing his open switchblade into the air and catching it, and watched him try to communicate telepathically with a man at 7-Eleven. After everything she'd seen that day, Haley texted her mom to say Austin needed a therapist and soon, but it was already too late. Duffy's Sports Grill was a deceptively normal place for a tragedy to begin. Wade, his girlfriend, Haley and Sam, must have hoped the casual atmosphere would calm Austin down because they took him there that evening for dinner. Haley had played her dad some audio clips she'd secretly taken of Austin that day, so the whole group was on high alert. Things started out well enough at least. Austin ordered a nice tea and a bowl of chili. However, after a few minutes, he decided the service was too slow and excused himself to go to the bathroom. Instead, he slipped outside. Although he didn't announce it to the rest of the table, he'd later claim he'd sensed the Grim Reaper hovering nearby. From the restaurant, Austin walked two miles back to his mother's house and surprised her with a knock on the door around 7 p.m. When he stepped inside, Austin ignored his mom and her boyfriend. Instead, he grabbed a bottle of cooking oil, mixed it with cheese, and drank the mixture down. Mina called her ex Wade to figure out a strategy to deal with what was happening. They decided that Mina needed to drive Austin back to Duffy's Sports Grill. On the way over, Austin's mother pleaded with him to see a counselor, and Austin promised he would. However, back in the Sports Grill, things didn't go so well. Wade had become frustrated with his son's bizarre behavior and grabbed him by the front of his shirt, demanding to know why he was doing this to his family. Austin pulled back a fist, but Wade's girlfriend stepped in and managed to defuse the situation. As Austin walked out of the restaurant, Sam followed after him asking him to come back, but Austin refused. Instead, he asked Sam to go with him. Sam said no, and Austin wandered off alone into the night. Austin's parents could no longer deny that something was seriously wrong with their son, and Mina called 911. Police Department, Laundry Quarter, is this Chrissy? Um, yes, I don't know how to do this. My son, he's um, kind of taken off, and I'm concerned about his own safety. How old is acting he? Acting a little strange. Um, 19. Does he live with you? Yes. Okay, what do you mean, acting strange? 
Um, I, it seems like he's a little delusional or like he's acting like... Has, and, does he have I mean, a history of like that or anything? Recent, no, this is just like recent change that we're noticing. And he was out to dinner with his dad today and he took off. And we just, he was with his sister and he says feels immortal and like a superhero. So I'm just, I don't know what's going on with him. Do you know if he's been taking any drugs or anything like that? I've asked, and nothing mm-hmm. recent right. that uh, I know of. So did he leave the house, or did he leave from the restaurant? Where's he last he seen it? the restaurant at Duffy's. What, which Duffy's is that? By I-95. And what city, though? We dispatched for five. Jupiter, I'm sorry. Yeah. Headed, well, last scene was going towards Island Way, going towards north of Church Street. Yeah. How long ago was this that he left? I want to say 10 o'clock. It's not 9.30. Has he left on foot? Nobody. Yes. He has no ID on him. His um, no phone. And where are you at, ma'am? Uh, I'm at home. We'll say I think the only thing he has on him is a pocket knife switchblade. And he's never done this before? I mean, this is like something new? No. This is just, I mean, his friends, I'm calling all his friends, and they're like, it's just, he's changed. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. I'll get an officer by that can... um speak to you and um, see if they're going to put out a missing uh, person's alert or what they want to do with it. Do um, you have no idea where he might have went or anything? I have no clue. Okay. Does he have any weapons that own or anything like that that he would have on him or anything? Pocket knife or anything like that? Yeah, I said he had a pocket knife, like a switchblade type pocket knife. I don't know. Okay. I, I think that's the only thing he has on him. Okay. Alright, I'll get somebody by there for you, okay? Great, thank you. Mina put the 911 call in after Austin left Duffy's, but not even Austin could remember the exact details of what happened next. According to him, he remembers his flight from the restaurant as a blur of strange sounds and oncoming headlights. He remembered trying to find his way by the stars and the pale-faced figure that called his name. He screamed and ran, convinced it was trying to murder him, turning down a random side street before sprinting towards a light in the distance. In his confused state, the light represented shelter from whatever evil was in hot pursuit. In reality, it was the open garage of 59-year-old John Stevens and 53-year-old Michelle Mishkan. The couple liked to spend time on their comfy old couches out there, shooting the breeze or watching TV. They jokingly called their hangout spot the garage Mahal, and decorated it like something out of a Jimmy Buffett song, with taxidermy, Christmas lights, a bar, and a cigar humidor. The couple had been married for about two decades and had just celebrated their 19th anniversary the month before. Michelle was planning on retiring from her job, where she was well-liked and helped plan fundraisers for childhood cancer research. John was already semi-retired, spending as much time as possible fishing for mahi-mahi on his boat. He had two children from a previous marriage and was looking forward to meeting his three-month-old granddaughter and teaching his four-year-old grandson how to fish. Both John and Michelle were fit, tanned, friendly-looking people with no reason to expect the horror that was about to unfold that night. Then suddenly Austin appeared at the entrance of their garage, wild-eyed and frantic. Michelle screamed, Austin screamed too, and the next thing he knew, he grabbed a machete or a broken vodka bottle or some other nearby object 
and started flailing it around. He would later describe what appeared to be a man glowing white, though whether that was John is hard to say. Austin swung again and again, striking Michelle and John with whatever improvised weapons his hands landed on, from blunt objects to blades. While his victims were down on the ground and incapacitated, Austin grabbed some unknown caustic chemical from the garage's collection and chucked it down. Though he didn't see the beginning of the chaos, John and Michelle's neighbor from across the street, Jeff Fisher, could hear Michelle's screams. From his window across the street, Jeff saw the struggle and rushed over to help. When he arrived, Austin was standing over Michelle and turned to Jeff and warned him, something to the effect of, you don't want any part of this, then lunged toward him with his switchblade, stabbing Jeff in the back. As Jeff attempted to block Austin's attack, he managed to get the upper hand when he grabbed onto his shirt and flung him to the ground, giving Jeff the opportunity he needed to escape through the house and out the back door. Bleeding from his injuries, Jeff made it across the street and put in a frantic call to 911. If that were the end of the altercation, it would have been gruesome enough. Instead, a deputy arrived to a hellish scene. Austin was in his boxer shorts, crouched over John, biting and tearing at his face like a mad dog. When the deputy ordered Austin to stop at gunpoint, he didn't even seem to hear her. Next, she deployed a taser, which also seemed to have no effect. When another deputy arrived, they still couldn't get Austin away from John. It seemed Austin had superhuman strength as he endured kicks to the head and attacks by a canine unit. It would take several officers working together to finally get Austin in handcuffs. Thrashing wildly, Austin was almost incoherent as he begged officers and EMTs to kill him, screaming at the top of his lungs, kill me, I'm eating people, with human flesh stuck to his teeth. Before losing consciousness completely, Austin told the EMTs, I ate something bad. When the horrific attack was finally over, Jeff was hospitalized for his stab wounds, and both John and Michelle succumbed to their unimaginable, grievous injuries. Austin himself was in a coma for 11 days. His esophagus was scorched by the chemical he swallowed in the garage. His kidney and liver were in critical condition, and he'd been battered by the officers who tried to get him off his victim. Initial reports blamed Austin's psychotic episode on bath salts or flaca, street drugs powerful enough to fuel a violent frenzy. This bath salt cannibal myth was a widely popular urban legend in Florida at the time. Four years earlier, in Miami, a similar cannibalistic frenzy had also been initially attributed to bath salts in the case of Rudy Eugene. But just like Rudy, Austin's tests came back negative, which begged the question, what could have possibly driven someone to such a brutal and unprovoked attack? This was most certainly a case of psychosis. The only question was, were illegal drugs the catalyst? Once Austin was awake, investigators had to find a way to explain his mental state. If the psychosis was caused by drugs, he could be tried for murder. 
because intoxication is not a valid legal defense. If drugs could be ruled out, it was up to experts to decide whether Austin had a legitimate mental illness or whether that was an excuse to escape punishment for two homicides of a vicious assault. The case was so difficult, a ruling wouldn't be delivered until 2022, six years after the murders. Austin's lawyer decided early on to use an insanity defense, so two forensic psychologists assessed Austin separately. One had even consulted on the cases of Jeffrey Dahmer, Timothy McVeigh, and Ted Kaczynski the Unabomber, giving him special expertise in situations like this. Even with that kind of background, the psychologist faced a major challenge because Austin's combination of symptoms were extreme and unusual. But the way Austin described them seemed honest and consistent. Were they looking at a flaw in his story or a rare illness? His text messages backed up his version of the story, at least in some ways. Rambling thoughts and strange comments about evil were all there in the conversations going back weeks. Testimonies by Austin's friends confirmed he didn't seem like himself in the days before the incident. During Austin's evaluation, he was cooperative, but in jail, he sometimes still hit high periods where he felt invincible, followed by sleepless nights of paranoia. Seeing the symptoms persist in jail at least helped rule out the drug theory, because in Martin County Jail, Austin was only on prescription medication for his condition. The street drugs might have unbalanced him enough to bring out a hidden illness, but it was unlikely they had caused his psychosis on their own. You can see a stark difference in Austin's appearance when you look back at his YouTube videos before he started unraveling, compared to when he was arrested. And then, after being on medication in jail, where he gained 90 pounds, partly as the medication side effect and partly from binging on gummy worms, Oreos, Doritos, and other junk food from the jail commissary. Austin was a far cry from the promising, fitness-loving young man he had once been, but Wade and Mina stuck by him through any parent's worst nightmare, visiting often and taking dozens of calls. I'll never give up on you. Okay. I promise, okay? All right. All right. You, listen, Austin, you got to stay strong here now. I know, it's I know. the toughest thing you've ever done. I know. But you got to stay strong. I'm just adjusting. I know, it's going to be hard to adjust, but you'll get used to it. Do you know how long I'm going to be here? I don't know how it works yet, but, but hopefully we can get you into a mental, mental place Yeah. as, as t time goes on. Yeah. That's what the first step is. You think they can? Yes, I do. Sadly. Not all of Austin's phone calls paint such a sympathetic picture. In other calls, it appeared Wade tried to influence Austin's version of the story by asking leading questions. Say yes or no, what I believe is you got in the car and they stopped you. I think the reason why is they had something to do with why it happened, right? Not just you, they had something to do with why it happened, right? For the families of the victims, the recordings felt like salt in the wound and they pressed for a life in prison or the death penalty. At the very least, a guilty verdict. It's important to understand, 
very few defendants accused of felonies actually plead insanity, despite how often it's shown in movies and the media, with only a small percentage, about a quarter of them succeeding. One reason is that juries worry accepting the defense will put a dangerous person back on the street. Add to the fact that many people are naturally resistant to accepting a case of true insanity. If nothing else, simply out of fearing a violent offender might be fooling us, pulling the wool over our eyes, literally getting away with murder. Judges familiar with the mental health system know that risky patients can be held indefinitely, even if found not guilty. For that reason, Austin waived his right to a jury, electing instead to have a bench trial, a decision that proved to be a wise defense. Highly qualified psychologists testified that Austin was not able to tell the difference between right and wrong when he committed the crime based on several types of assessments and numerous interviews that had backed up his story. One psychologist offered a diagnosis for bipolar disorder as well as clinical lycanthropy, an extremely rare condition that made Austin truly believe he was a dog. Both Austin and his father apologized for the pain that night it caused John and Michelle's family, apologies that came out in interviews on the Dr. Phil show. However, no amount of sorry would ever bring back their loved ones or a sense of safety. John's son grieved that his father would never get the chance to meet his granddaughter, a granddaughter he was so excited to meet. Commenting on his son's Facebook profile, gushing over an ultrasound photo, already in love with the baby he'd never meet. Michelle's brother argued all the attention had been focused on Austin, making the family's suffering feel like an afterthought. Was Austin insane? That seems to be the only thing anyone has cared about for the past six years. Not the two dead people that he butchered. It does not seem like anyone really cares that Michelle and John are dead. Not his parents, not the defense, the county, the state. Everyone just wants to get this over with so Austin could get a slap on his wrist and go home and go on with the rest of his life. He will be back home in a matter of months, not years most likely. Was Austin insane? I don't think so. He knew what he was doing that night, and he still remembers exactly what he did. He's just too much of a coward to tell us. He can't speak the truth. He's been coached by his defense, so he would be able to fool so-called experts to say he was insane, but they were not there. They didn't read all the texts. I think my sister did a lot more than what the prosecutors have done. We would have been a lot better off if she was sitting at that table. But let me tell you what is insane. When the police showed up that night and saw Austin on top of John beating and stabbing him to death and more, and Michelle's dead body in the garage, they chose to let Austin survive. They saw a kid in a nice neighborhood and decided to give him the benefit of the doubt. They said they did not want to shoot him because they didn't want to hurt John. Well, John is dead and you didn't help him. What you did allow was Austin to live to fight another day. And when he's released, Anyone he hurts will be partly your responsibility. And make no mistake about it, he will hurt more people in the future. That is insane. You know what else is insane? That we are even having this conversation. Austin brutally butchered two people. And whether he was insane should not even matter. You know what's not insane, Austin? 
one day you might actually have some remorse and want forgiveness. Maybe that day is today. Maybe it's next week. Who knows? But if you would like forgiveness, I'll give it to you. You just have to do one thing, Austin. You do the same thing to yourself that you did to my sister. Okay? That's all you have to do. Do to yourself what you did to my sister, and you have my forgiveness. One of Michelle's sisters poured over Austin's calls and text messages, refusing to believe mental illness was to blame, when so much of what he said was about drugs or his own well-being. You heard those texts, right? Did you know what your son was doing in college? You were paying for him to be there. Do you know that? Did that disgust you? Did you really sit here for the past six years believing that toxicology report, thinking he didn't do drugs? Did you? Did you think that? I saw his sister. I saw you shaking your head. You must have known what was going on in college. Crazy. No one in your family has taken any responsibility for what has happened. Not even you. I hate you. I hate you all. I hate what you did. I really think you deserve to die, Austin. Your family deserves to suffer the way my family suffers. I hope you spend the rest of your life thinking about this. What a horrible person you are. The murderer, <clears throat> drug addict. As Michelle's sisters argued, Austin's spotty history with drugs only strengthened the case against him. Although he claimed to have flushed or given away everything he had, his text history showed him trying to score magic mushrooms just days before the murders. And though Tess may have found only a trace of marijuana, psilocybin, the active ingredient in mushrooms, it's difficult to detect and leaves the system very quickly. Even if Austin was completely clean at the time of the murders, the prosecution argued that heavy usage can lead to withdrawal symptoms. If the psychosis was caused by withdrawal symptoms, that would fit the definition of voluntary intoxication, and Austin could be considered guilty after all. Because psychology isn't a hard science, expert opinion is still an opinion. Some states even allow guilty by insane convictions, which means psychological evidence is valid, but doesn't exonerate the accused of the crime. Florida isn't one of those states, but at the very least, that's the type of conviction Michelle and John's family would have preferred to see. Among the most poignant statements was made by John's daughter. She'd just moved out of the house where her parents were murdered weeks earlier. Before any judgment was delivered, she told the court how Austin's crime had stolen her happiness. I am so angry that this is the only way that I can remember them now. I'm angry that they won't be remembered for the life they lived before you, only the headlines that you have turned them into. This is what wakes me up in the middle of the night as I lay in bed for hours, picturing the way that they died. You have not only destroyed the memory of them for me, but you have caused me to live in a constant state of fear, not only for myself, but for my family. You are the reason I check all my doors at night, the reason I think someone is going to murder my children, the reason I think someone is waiting inside of my house to stab me to death when I get home every day. You are a disgusting human with a rancid soul, a sick animal that should have been put down a long time ago. You deserve nothing more than to feel despair, debilitating guilt, 
for what you did every second of the day for the rest of your sad, meaningless, and pathetic life. I hope death comes for you sooner than later. And when it does, I will rejoice because only then will justice be truly served for John and Michelle. Despite the survivor's passionate arguments, the judge accepted Austin's plea deal. Because he didn't have the ability to understand his actions at the time, he was declared not guilty by reason of insanity. He was still considered a possible danger to himself and others. He'd go to a mental health institution for treatment and stay there until doctors were convinced the threat had passed. Michelle's sister claims the Martin County State Attorney's Office told her he could technically be confined for as little as six months, a number that haunts those who push for jail time. Grief is an incredibly difficult emotion to process, especially when the causes are sudden and senseless. Perhaps if Austin had gotten the care he needed sooner, tragedy could have been prevented. No doubt everyone involved has tortured themselves with that thought at some point, and it's important to reflect on how to be prepared and responsive when the warning signs emerge. But hindsight is 2020, and severe mental illness reveals itself in baffling ways. Without professional support and training, Austin's friends and family must have been mystified, failing to see the consequences coming because they were unthinkable. For friends and family of Michelle and John, the pain comes from knowing all too well that innocent bystanders can have their lives destroyed in moments through absolutely no fault of their own. Random, indescribable cruelty left a smoking crater where loving kindness used to be. And although there's no way to restore what was lost, John's son says he'll try to carry his dad's memory forward in the way he raises his daughter. He plans to teach her to appreciate nature like her granddad I'll raise her to be kind to people, as hard as it is in the world we live. Follow The Minds of Madness on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. To support the show and get access to ad-free episodes, extra content, and Patreon-exclusive episodes, go to patreon.com slash madnesspod. To find us on Instagram and Facebook, search The Minds of Madness, and on Twitter using the handle at madnesspod. And also, by checking out our sponsors and using our promo codes, you're also helping support the show. We've got all the links in our episode notes. So until next week... Thanks for listening.